hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we talk harvest equipment prep with Estes Performance Concave CEO Brian Robertson. U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue talks China, ethanol, and CFAP. And we hear from the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax, in another installment of Bushels and Scents. Then we hear the powerful story and powerful music of country music singer-songwriter Ben Fuller. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on the program, it's harvest season in many parts of the country. And as those combines begin to roll, that means thinking through some of the things that could rob you of precious yield you've been trying so hard to build all growing season. Eliminating a few common mistakes can make a big difference in the long run. So I wanted to bring in Brian Robertson, the CEO of Estes Performance Concaves, to talk about some of the things that you should consider before heading out into the field. Brian, welcome into Fastline Fast Track. Oh, I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's my pleasure. I tell you what, you've been around farming a long time and have talked with so many farmers over the years and heard about their experiences. Before folks even start down that first row, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about to make sure that their machine is in top condition? Yeah, that's that's a little bit of a loaded question, but I'll kind of run through some of it. As you know, the combine is probably one of the more complicated pieces of machinery on the farm. And you know, you have short windows, you have a harvest window that you've got to get things taken care of and downtime can really cost you. Um, so some of the more, I guess, common things that, you know, they should do before they get in the field, just mechanical things would be, you know, check all your engine fluids and fuel filters and air filters and, you know, all the hydraulic uh, oils and gearboxes and all those things. Um, that's pretty standard, but the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of, um, belts and chains and sprockets that they should also check because the last thing you want to do is, you know, break a belt and then you go to deer case or whoever it may be and they may not have one in stock or they have to order it and you're, you're two or three days downtime. Uh, something else you can do is, you know, go ahead and, uh, find the part numbers and and uh, put some on order um, and you know keep keep your own little inventory of stuff that commonly breaks down. Um, the other thing is uh, outside the machine is you know you'd want to go ahead and hook up those headers uh, that you'd be using. Check check the blades on the headers and and make sure that everything when it's hooked up to the machine is working properly, meaning, you know, your adjustments and your tilts and all that are working properly. Just things that things that you're going to do in the field functionally, just go ahead and kind of run through them kind of like you would pre-flight check, you know, on a plane. You just run through everything, make sure everything's functional. And if you need to replace that, then you can, you know, call ahead and, and get stuff on order and get it taken care of before you head into that field. 
Well, one of the big issues as you begin harvesting is grain damage, and grain on steel threshing can cause cracks, splits, and fines, and diminish yields, thereby taking money out of a grower's pocket. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's another thing to look at when you're in the machine is, is the machine is there to thresh the grain and to remove the crop from the grain. And um, one of the things to look at is if your concaves are worn or your rotor bars are worn, and you'll see that because you'll have flat spots on the rotor bars or concaves, or you'll be having to run the rotor even faster than you normally would. But um, speaking of grain damage, that's one of the things. We just released the XPR2 concave system earlier this month, and we've tested it uh, for many, many acres and hours and everything, and grain damage is one of the the key aspects that we were looking for in the second generation was how can we run the, sl- the rotor as slow as possible and as open as possible, which is, you know, the opposite of fast and tight, like a lot of the OEMs want you to do. And by slowing that rotor down and opening it up, you um, don't have to do as much grain on steel. You keep that rotor loaded and you get as much material rubbing on material. And, um, of course, our patented bar helps with that. Um, it thrushes better than a round bar or a uh, wire concave, but it doesn't do the damage. And that was, um, finding that sweet spot has been quite the challenge. Well, you talk about the rotors, and another big issue to consider is rotor loss. It's estimated that every rotor combine loses between two and five bushels per acre. And while the deer might appreciate that, it could mean a loss of as much as $30,000 per 1,000 acres of soybeans. And that's big money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it pays to to look at these things and, you know, to consider other options. I mean, uh, one of the things that the XPR2 Concast does so well is it threshes very effectively. And the sooner we can get the grain off the crop, the sooner we can get it down onto the augers or the cleaning bed and into the grain tank. And that means that we... A lot of times with OEM, what happens is, is you don't thresh it as quickly. It's not as open as ours, so you don't get it down on to the augers as quickly. And then what happens is you overload that separator, and then you get as much as you can out, but there's always some grain caught up in the chaff, and it gets walked out the back as lost. And, you know, we can get that grain loss down to um, minimal and uh, by doing that, we found that just on grain loss, not talking about capacity or, or uh, grain damage or any of the other uh, added benefits, uh, the system pays for itself re- very quickly. So your company's come up with the XPR2 concave for John Deere and Case IH combines. And you say you have a concave system that stops rotor loss and allows you to go from crop to crop without changing concaves, which is extremely important when time is of the essence. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in conjunction with our patented bar, we have the cover plates. Um, they just help hold in that crop mat keep the rotor full so in your harder threshing grains or your small grains will run those covers but you know in corn and beans and other ones uh, we don't 
and that means you don't have to, you know, break your back changing out concaves or, um, you know, you don't have to have or purchase multiple sets of concaves. And, and there's certain states that um, this is really more important because sometimes they'll go from one crop to the next and then back to the original crop in a matter of a couple of weeks just because of how maturities play out and and how, uh, I guess, when things are ready to harvest, they need to get in the field and do it. Well, we should also mention that these concaves increase ground speed by one to three miles an hour, and you have 135% greater threshing surface area than round bars, so that grain is threshed and captured sooner. Yes, uh, that's one of the big keys is, again, that that bar makes uh, all the difference in the world. And, you know, the big thing that a lot of guys may not consider or think about is um, the ground speed. We're, we see the increase in ground speed um, anywhere from 20 to 30 percent. Um, and along with that, uh, a lot of guys um, are running 20 to 30 percent less horsepower even at that faster ground speed. So if you're talking about being able to pick up another 40, you know, 50 acres a day um, you know, during harvest, you know, during a week, that's, that's 350, 400 acres that you gain for that week. And during harvest, you know, if you get a rain and you get rained out or get a frost or something that, you know, unpredictable, that faster ground speed can really make a difference uh, in your harvest. Well, if you need any more of an endorsement, the Estes Concaves are being used by a number of world and national Corn Growers Association champions and some of the guys who've been featured on the Corn Warriors TV show that you've heard us talking about the past few weeks, including Kevin Cobb, Dan Lipkus, Randy Dowdy, and David Hula, just to name a few, and also some record soybean producers like the Hefty Brothers of Hefty Seed and Ag PhD fame, and also Matt Miles, who you're going to be hearing about here in a few weeks when we begin to profile the contestants on the new Podfather TV series. So you've got some heavy hitters in your corner here. Yeah, we we had to make sure we were on our A game with them, and you know that's one of the things that pushed us for the second gen is to take something that was that was already good and better than um, I guess factory, but to make it great. And we've been extremely impressed uh, with the performance of them, and we've heard the same from the guys that you mentioned, and they're really the true test. And you know they don't. Uh, they're all straight shooters. They uh, they don't sugarcoat anything, and if something's not uh, up to par, they'll let you know real quick. And we appreciate all of them and working with us, and uh, we're we're happy that they're happy with uh, with uh, I guess kind of how it how it turned out. So um, we're we're really pleased with uh, the system and and uh, what the feedback, the the exceptional feedback that we've been getting. We're a little bit hamstrung right now because we can't go to the in-person farm shows at many places around the country, and I know I've run into you at uh, a number of them. What are you guys doing to help uh, folks get up close and personal with these, or where can they go and check them out? Sure. They can um, go to estesperformanceconcaves.com. There they can see photos. Uh, We can send them a brochure, Um, you know, if they want uh, closer pictures or kind of a visualization, we can provide that as well. 
Um, and of course, some of the guys that you mentioned have have uh, put videos out uh, reviewing them and talking about them, and they can also check those out. I hope people will go check those out. Estes Performance Concaves. And Brian, we sure appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track and, and wish you and your company a great harvest season. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we've talked a lot about China and its implications on our export markets in previous episodes. And this week, U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue weighed in on China's recent purchase of corn and soybeans. As many of the experts have predicted, they're beginning to ramp up purchases after just a couple months ago being off by more than 60% of the $36.5 billion worth of purchases agreed to in the Phase 1 agreement between U.S. and China. At the end of July, it was reported that China purchased 1.9 million tons of U.S. corn for delivery during the marketing year that opened September 1st. It was the third largest corn sale to any country and the largest ever to China. The sale came two weeks after Chinese firms bought 1.8 million tons of U.S. corn, a deal that ranked number five on the USDA's list of largest corn sales ever. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue had encouraging words about the Phase 1 trade deal with China. Phase 1 with China got off to a fairly slow start. It really was just signed in early February, and then the world got overwhelmed with the pandemic of COVID. But I can tell you, over the last six weeks, they really stepped up. He spoke to the National Association of State Directors of Agriculture. You've seen record corn shipments and uh, even bean shipments here recently. I believe they have the capacity. China imports a lot of things. He says he expects Chinese demand for U.S. ag products will be strong as the Asian country rebuilds its swine herds. As you see the crop coming on, for the most part, we've got the tragedy in Iowa with the windstorm and uh, we'll always have other issues in other parts of the country, Louisiana and hurricane. But for the most part, the crop that's coming on looks like we're going to need a strong export run. That was Stephanie Ho reporting for USDA Radio in Washington, D.C. Well, over the course of the pandemic, a big concern has been the health of the U.S. ethanol industry. According to the USDA, 424.4 million bushels of corn were used for fuel alcohol production during July, up 12% from June, but 6% lower than July 2019. Production of distillers' dried grains with solubles amounted to 1.9 million tons, up 12% from June, but down 6% year over year. The USDA estimates 5.2 billion bushels of corn will be used for ethanol production this marketing year. And this week, a key U.S. senator said Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue should act quickly to help the pandemic-damaged biofuels industry, despite Perdue's disputed claim that he lacks authority without Congress to do so. Senate Finance Chair Chuck Grassley said he's personally urged Secretary Perdue to provide direct aid to biofuels ravaged by the pandemic. But Purdue told a virtual conference of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture this week. We don't have the authority uh, under any of the current uh, regulations right now to deal with that. But that has been a discussion that's being debated. If Congress can come together on a program, uh, hopefully that will be included. But the biofuels industry and Senator Grassley argue Purdue has the authority and the USDA's used it before to help ethanol producers. Grassley's advice to Purdue? I would say... Uh, let him take the action and let somebody challenge it. That's what I would advise him to do because if it's done before, uh, he's not going to be in, get in too much trouble doing it again to help at all. 
Purdue is scheduled to visit Iowa this week, and Grassley says he and Iowa's junior senator, Joni Ernst, will again urge Purdue to help an industry suffering more than $3 billion in pandemic losses, equal to half a billion bushels of lost corn demand. Someone else weighing in on ethanol this week was House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson, who says aid for the industry is contained in the House-passed HEROES Act, which they're trying to reconcile with the Senate COVID-19 relief bill. Peterson says the industry needs some assistance as soon as possible. We have a serious crisis with ethanol plants. There's $2.3 billion in there for payments to the ethanol industry at 45 cents a gallon during a base period from January to April. And if the plant was shut down, they could use the base period from the year earlier. That's something I think that's really needed. I'm, I'm very concerned about these plants staying viable and being able to stay in business going forward. Getting the ethanol industry going in the right direction would be a big boost for the price of corn. These corn prices are in the tank because of the lack of demand in ethanol. That's one of the main problems. And these waivers that have been handed out by the administration, I think, are unwarranted. And I've been going back and forth with them in terms of explaining to me why it is they gave out these waivers and what the rationale was. And I've still not found any information. They haven't given me any information about why they did this. Peterson says refineries are petitioning the Environmental Protection Agency for retroactive waivers in a continuing attempt to get out of their obligations under the RFS. Now they're trying to get retroactive waivers all the way back to 2011. So that's another issue that's a big problem out there. We have corn, three bucks in my district, not all because of ethanol, but largely because of ethanol situation. The ethanol industry would benefit if people would start driving more and the price of oil would bounce back. Those are very influential factors for the health of the ethanol industry. We're trying to keep those plants going and hoping that the oil prices will come back and we get back to normal and people get driving and so forth. That was Minnesota Representative Colin Peterson. Well, something else that's on the minds of many farmers and ranchers across the country, the deadline is approaching to apply for the USDA's Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. Everything U.S. government has to have an acronym, it's CFAP. The first $16 billion is funding is a form of direct payments to farmers to help them through those tough times. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue made his comments to the National Association of State Directors of Agriculture. So we want to get that money out quickly, and that money really went through April 15th for the damages incurred in the first quarter, essentially there. For producers of more than 160 commodities, the deadline to apply is September 11th, 2020. Through this entire process, we've tried to listen to our producers and adding additional commodities to what's being covered. As I indicated, we're gearing up to announce CFAP round two, which will incorporate more of the feedback to make a program that works best for the people who truly need it. Again, that was Stephanie Ho reporting for USDA Radio in Washington, D.C. Well, now it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our pal, the hot rod farmer, Ray Bohax. Be sure to check out all his great content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. You buy a 300-horsepower tractor at auction, but neglect to go check it over the week before. It looked good and you paid a fair price for it. You put about 100 hours on it and the engine fails, kicks a rod through the block. It suffered from cylinder liner cavitation erosion. If you would have performed a $35 fluid analysis on the coolant, it would have revealed the erosion even though the cylinder liner was not yet leaking. 
Your lack of due diligence cost you $27,000 for a rebuilt engine with installation, or the equivalent of 7,715 bushels of $3.50 corn. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Again, be sure to check out all of Ray Bohax's great content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Well, next up on the program, we welcome in Ben Fuller, an incredible up-and-coming artist out of Nashville by way of a southern Vermont dairy farm. He has powerful music and a powerful story to tell, and we're honored to have him with us. Ben, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you, Brent. Man, how you been? Good, Ben, real good. I, uh, I've been hanging tough and been surprisingly calm through all this crazy, and um, I haven't done a whole lot of uh, live stream stuff. Um, I've, I've kind of, I've done some, but anyway, this is, it's great to do this with you. And, and, uh, I told you a little bit ago that, uh, I, I told my father about being on here and we've got fast line magazine since I was a little kid, you know, and growing up milking cows and stuff. I remember circling the cool tractors that, you know, we couldn't quite afford yet. You know? And it was one of those, it. one of those things where they were way big because it was always the tracks tractors from out West. And, uh, anyway, so it's, it's just an honor to be on here. So well, I, tell you what, I appreciate that. And the folks in the home office will be uh, happy to hear that. And you hear those stories <laughs> in, in some of the craziest places, man. I, I get excited from, from coast to coast. We've heard those stories and uh, man, I was, I was thrilled uh, when your uh, publicist reached out to us and, and asked us uh, to, to consider having you on here because uh, I think you've got a really powerful story here. One, one of uh, humility and perseverance and uh, you're making music with a purpose here. It's not just to see how high you can climb on the charts, but uh, and, you know to be able to help other people you know, who, are, who are on a road uh, traveling down it that uh, you you were down and uh, have seen some of the pitfalls, and uh, uh, you're using that testimony to be able to help some folks out. Yeah, I absolutely am, and um, I'm constantly reminded uh, with the messages and um, gosh, some of the people reaching out. It's just it's so. Um, it's so real how hurting so many people are and how much people are going through. And, you know, what I found with this music is, um, I'm just so thankful that I'm able to be a voice, um, and, and to speak out loud when some people are, are scared, um, or not quite sure just how to approach it or how to say something. And, um, it's an honor to be a voice for those people. And, uh, I, I just, it, it fills me up and that's why I do it. So. so take us back to your Vermont roots here. We were talking about what we mentioned at the beginning that you grew up on a dairy farm. How many generations does that go back? And what was life like there growing up on the farm? That was my dad. Uh, he started in, uh, it was first generation. He started um, back in 1977. And I bought his first cows when he was 19 years old. And um, I had no idea what was in store for me, but I certainly grew up, you know, throwing hay bales and double sessions. And uh, we had, a, I guess, about one time, just shy of 170 Holsteins um, and a double four parlor. And uh, of course, we got international tractors. And, you know, I got in a couple arguments with the guys about red and green, but we won't go there today. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it, it really it taught me um, hard work. And it taught me to stick in there, even when I was tired, even when I didn't feel like working. Um, and it just, it really made me honest and everybody loved me. I'm so thankful. Everybody loved me growing up and everybody recognized who I was and, and, uh, what I was worth. And, um, we didn't grow up with a whole lot, but, um, we grew up with a whole lot of love, you know? So mm -hmm. 
Where did the love of music come from? Um, wow. I, uh, I just remember, it's just, this whole thing has just been such a beautiful ride, but I remember listening to, um, cassette tapes when my, my dad had a 1989 GMC and had a little cassette player. And I listened to cassette tapes of Steve Warner and, um, uh, Randy Travis. And, um, it just was like, I grew up on that. And I remember singing along and wanting to sound like them. Uh, and so I remember that my mom had got me a CD player and, you know, it would skip. Of course, I was on the tractor running the harrows or the plows or whatever, and the bumps would make it skip. And so I figured if I could sing along that good and learn the songs, then I could just not worry if it skipped or not. I could just sing the song like it wasn't skipping. And uh, I, I sort of learned. I sang along with Brooks and Dunn and, and Joe Diffie. And uh, that's where I really developed a love for music. And I guess I didn't realize that I was halfway decent at it. And I just I kept singing until uh, some of my friends had finally told me, hey, you know, you're, you're pretty good. You know, you ought to like learn guitar or just sing more, you know. And uh, right out of college, I learned how to play guitar. And uh, that's when the whole thing kind of started. I didn't start. My first show was uh, February 25th, 2017. Wow. And uh, it took it took me that many years. You know, I graduated um, college in uh, 07, I guess. And, um, you know, it was like, it took me a long time to kind of get it going, but here I am. So what else did you do growing up? Um, I, uh, I, I, I really fell in love with the trade of uh, stone masonry. And, uh, so one of my, one of my coolest trades, I guess, and what I spent uh, about 15 years doing, um, farming doesn't make a whole lot of money. I don't need to tell everybody listening to this thing. Uh, and, and it's, it's a, it's a really tough profession. But I fell in love with building stone walls. And uh, of course, that's also a really tough profession as well. But you can make some money at it if you're, if you're good. And um, so I, I, uh, I started building a lot of stone walls. I went to school for landscape design. And uh, in fact, I have taken a job with uh, the old company that I work for um, here in Vermont, building stone walls uh, during this, the, the COVID um, time period. And so I've been I've been building stone walls since May and and uh, came back from Nashville for that. So uh, yeah. you play any sports or do anything like that through, through school? I, I did football. Yep. Tight end, defensive end. And uh, it's funny. I was just talking. One of my best friend's uh, sons just started football and he came and he was shoveling dirt with us at, at uh, work yesterday. And and he's only 12 years old. And I and uh, I was talking to him and I says, well, what do you got going on? He says, well. I just started football and uh, he says, I've, I've got practice after this and I'm getting tired and I don't know if I can make it. And I just thought, I thought about double sessions and, and uh, throwing hay bales during the summertime and having to go to football practice covered in sweat and hay chaff. And, and, uh, but that earned me the role of captain, you know, and, yeah. and I just, uh, I know that hard work was, was really where I've got all of this drive from. So uh, where did you attend college and uh, what did you study there? Uh, I went to uh, Vermont Technical College. It was a two-year, did a two-year degree there um, of landscape design and ornamental horticulture. And so I learned all about plants and trees and shrubs and uh, perennials and um, just how to draw um, different design, landscape designs. And that was one of my favorite uh, things was the drawing aspect and actually creating 
um, outdoor spaces that involve stonework and trees and shrubs. And um, it, it really, it really was cool. Cause I could kind of allow my mind to sort of just make these things up. And um, I had a blast with it. And, and then that obviously led to a job right out of college uh, installing stonework and um, trees at very high end clientele and um, places all around Vermont, New Hampshire. So so I was reading one uh, interview that you had where, where you said that uh, even though you loved it, uh, you went on to Nashville and moved on and you thought you were probably done with that phase in your uh, life. <laughs> Man. You know how you're like uh, the, my fun, the funnest thing now is, is if you want to hear God laugh, you just tell him your plans. And that's like really what I, I, I was down in, when I moved down to Nashville, um, I guess in the fall of 2018, is when I moved down and um, I sold everything, sold my house and my house sold in one day. And the woman that bought it was from Nashville. And at that time I didn't even believe in God and all these things like, well, what a coincidence that is, you know, that that's crazy. And uh, so all these things started happening and um, yeah, I told myself, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to be a musician and I'm going to go for it. And if I'm half in, I'll never make it. And so I just went down and went wholehearted and um, I met a gentleman by the name of Bob Ezrin and uh, Bob Ezrin produced Pink Floyd and um, several other monster rock bands. And I really took to heart what he had to say to me. I met him in the first few weeks of being down there. I was lost on Broadway, which is one of the number one things he told me not to be. And the second thing he told me was to always go home. And I took that to heart and um, I asked him why. And he said, because they're the ones that made you who you are. And I really, that, that stuck with me and has stuck with me. And so I continued to come home um, and do shows and play here and continue to make everybody happy at home. And, and uh, if you got them, then, then that's, that's all that, that's what you started with. Right. So you can't, you don't want to forget where you came from. So what do you remember about the first time you stepped on stage? Uh, what, what kind of songs were you playing? And uh, what, what do you remember about that whole experience? Oh, boy. I uh, I think I played Queen in my double wide trailer um, on uh, Tootsie's stage. And I remember playing. Uh, I auditioned at Tootsie's on Broadway uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. And it was slam packed. And I remember uh, filling in with the live band, the full band that was there, the Tootsie's band. And to be honest with you, I'd never played with a full band in my entire life, ever. <laughs> and I got up there like, you know, and, and I'm kind of like, well, uh, <laughs> howdy, howdy, y'all. Uh, my name is Ben Fuller and, you know, I'm from Vermont. And people are like, where, <laughs> you know, and uh, I stepped up there and I gave it all I got. And uh, I did The Ride by David Allen Coe. And I did Queen of My Double Wide Trailer, uh, Sammy Kershaw. And I remember um, the man up in the booth, he says, he comes on the microphone after and, and he says, uh, John Taylor. And he says, uh, well, what does everybody think? Is, you gotta, does Ben have a job here? Do you like him? And everybody screamed and hollered and this and that. And he says, well, Ben, I, show up tomorrow 10 a.m and you've got yourself a slot right on the stage right here and i'm like 
I've made it. I've made it. I've done it. I've made it. I, I played uh, three and a half months down there. Wow. And uh, 10 a.m. I'm a, I'm an early morning guy, and and uh, they start they start music at 10 a.m. And uh, so I started playing at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Four hour shifts, and just sang my heart out um, just about every single day down there. And uh, I would make, you know, I didn't have a job or anything, and I'd make anywhere from a hundred to a hundred and eighty dollars a day, and uh, that's how I paid my rent. And but I got caught up in the drinking, and uh, and it's like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I I I'm I'm drinking early in the morning, and um, that really messed me up. And and I think that that is when I finally realized, you know, after those few months that. Hey, I remember what Bob said. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm lost on Broadway. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't where I needed to be in my heart. I felt, you know, that, it, that I needed to be somewhere else. So that's when I, that's when I kind of gave my notice and slowly stopped work my way out of playing down there. Before we go any further, let's hear one from Ben Fuller. This is Dirt Road to Nashville on Fast Line Fast Track. Snow outside, green mountain high, sliding down a winding road. Summer night, here's a fireflies fly, crickets begin their show. Just daddy night, keep count I'd hide inside a yellow cone road. In my mind's rest. No one had done my best And I'm set to go Can you hear them court-sized rocks Hitting rusty shocks And bump into all sports zone And the faster you drive The smoother ride Knowing you're almost home But I will never forget The first time I left Get that feeling still Riding first class in a dusty seat On the road to Nashville been told enough sure know I got the guts so buckle up and just hang on see the neon flash watch the strangers pass as I'm hooking up my microphone step on stage staring at their face waiting on her favorite song four wheel drive Got me here tonight You can bet it's gonna get me home Can you hear them courtside rocks Hitting rusty shocks And bumping to all sports zone And the faster you drive The smoother ride Knowing you're almost home But I'll never forget The first time I left Getting that feeling still Riding first class In a dusty seat On dirt road and
So uh, you've been very vocal about it. Addiction has become part of your story. Uh, how did it begin and, and you know, how, how did it shape the next few years of your life? Um, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of the things that upset us, a lot of the things that trouble us, um, we don't ever talk about. We don't ever want to talk about. I, I don't want to bring it up. Half the time, uh, I have a hard time still talking about it. You know, I don't know who's listening. Everybody's listening. My parents, you know, and it's like, and it's a tough thing, but, um, I dealt with a lot of my issues and running away, um, uh, with drugs, you know, cocaine was, was my thing. And uh, I hid it from everybody. I hid it from every single person that I knew that wasn't into it. And uh, I still have people go, you got to be kidding me. Like, look at you. You know, you're great. You're smart. You're funny. You're better. You were, you had a problem with drugs. Like you did. And it wasn't all the time, but it was um, every other weekend or once a month. And then all of a sudden twice a month. And then all of a sudden it turned, you know, and I would go in spurts and it would, sometimes it was bad and other times it wasn't. Um, and I could put it down. And so I thought I'm okay. I can, I can stop it. And, um, you know, there were several times where I pretty, I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to wake up. And there were a lot of times that I thought to myself, this is it. This is, I, I should send out a text right now to somebody. Um, because I don't know if, if the morning's going to come for me. Um, and that's how I dealt with my problems, you know, and that went on for years and years and years. Um, and it started, you know, right out of high school. And um, I just can't preach it enough to these young, young kids and um, people that, uh, that think they have it so awfully bad, so terrible. And they're, and they're just honestly, they just need a little shove to be able to talk about their problems. And um, that's certainly what I am trying to do now for everybody is just give them that extra little push of encouragement and confidence where they can say, Hey man, this is really bothering me. Or my, my dad, you know, I have a problem with my dad or my mom's, you know, really after me and I don't like it. Or, you know, my uncle's being abusive. Um, and, and so to be able to say that, you know, and, and come to terms with that is, is powerful, you know, mm -hmm. and th that's where God, and that's where God comes in and, uh, and has come in for me. So in 2015, you talk about uh, having a relationship that you were involved with that uh, gave you kind of a different perspective on addiction. Yeah. Uh, me and Caitlin. Yeah, there's a she's she's been uh, just one of those people in my life that, you know, we all have these people that are so special and you hold so close and you just you just love so much and you don't ever want to let go. Um, and she's that for me. And I didn't want to let go for so long. And me not being a stranger to drugs, you know, um, her and I got into this pretty, um, drug filled relationship and that's what it was based off of. And, um, it was just this constant, like battle back and forth with each other. And, uh, the drugs won. And I remember, you know, she said, you know, I don't love you anymore. Get out, you know, that kind of thing. And we were spending a lot of time together and, um, and I had a lot of my stuff at her place and, and yeah, she, she threw me out and, um, I had left drugs alone for quite a while after her, because I just said, look what they did to us. 
And during that time period is when I wrote that song called Me and Caitlin. And uh, it was really the story of what the drugs took away from our relationship. Um, and it just, I wanted so badly for her to change. And I wanted so badly to just rip the drugs, rip that straw, rip that dollar bill out of her face and just say, look, like, wake up. You know, we're not, this isn't playtime. You know, we're, we're alive. This is precious. Um, and, you know, I am so, and, and this went on for years. This went on for three years after we broke up, four years after we broke up. And I'm so um, ecstatic to report that Caitlin and I have kept in touch some uh, recently and she's come back into my life and uh, she's over eight months sober now. Nice. And by the grace of God, she's, she died seven times, stopped breathing seven times. Um, by the grace of God, her sponsor introduced the Bible to her and she started reading and um, she said, God help me. I just need your help. I need, I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired. And uh, it's a miracle. I'm watching this miracle in front of my eyes. I'm watching. She, she's being an example to others now. She has people reaching out to her saying, how did you do it? How did you become sober? How did you? And without shoving the Bible down your throat, because it didn't happen that way for me. Um, it was just this. It's like lightning, you know, and it strikes you. And all of a sudden you just go, I, I need I need help other than my own. Mm -hmm. And that's what she did. And so I'm so thankful for her and, and boy, she looks good and her skin looks good and she's smiling and it's so beautiful to that's watch awesome. that. Yeah. Well, let's hear a song that was inspired by Ben's relationship with Caitlin. This is me and Caitlin on Fast Line Fast Track. Phone call kills her how she's chasing. I'm wondering again where she is tonight. Too much time wasted on explaining. Thinking how many calls can she decline? Well, it's all downhill from your mountain And she's always fine flying through your clothes I can't fight to see you when she's smooth sailing I'll remind you now exactly what you've taken window I left the door unlocked again well there's no need for an explanation cause I know exactly where she's been well there's all downhill from your mountain and she's always fine flying through your clouds I can't find to see you when she's smooth sailing Texas got me pulling over 
Sheriff waiting for me when I finally got home Said they found her lying in the bathroom Might as well have stuck that needle in my arm She's chasing I'm wondering again Where she is tonight You know what I think a lot of people think about uh, Drug addiction or, or alcohol abuse Or some of these things Meth, whatever it is Being a, uh, an urban problem A city problem But it's alive and well and, and a huge problem in rural America Yeah, you bet it is And I think it's It's almost uh, up here and what I found and what I know myself from my own experiences is the winter times are awful rough and, uh, I'm watching the leaves start to change, you know, on my way home from work. And, um, we're coming into September. It was 44 degrees this morning up here and, you know, it's, it's starting to get cold and a lot of us go into hiding, you know, and we, we, we have a job through the winter, but it's dark at 5 PM, 4 30. And, you know, it's not light till seven, seven o'clock in the morning, you know, and it's like you spend a lot of period in darkness. Yeah. And we all know how that darkness affects our lives. And um, that's what I'm trying to do with my music is just leave that light on, you know, and and let people know that that it's OK to be in the darkness and to sit in the darkness because God is still there with you in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's really what I've used to kind of power my way through um this this almost year on the 13th of september will be a year of sobriety for me that's beautiful man that's awesome yeah thank you so so uh you know you're you're trying to make heads or tails of all this that's going on and then in 2017 uh, you lose your best friend to addiction as well yeah um i'm sitting in his room right now uh he uh he was my best friend and uh his parents Um, they didn't have the heart to sell the house and, um, you know, it's been over three years and here I am, you know, and his parents have let me stay here when I come up from Nashville and, uh, right above his bed says rise and shine, you know, and he, (laughs) once you're gone, you can't come back. And, uh, that really changed my whole perspective on life, on how precious it is, on how fast we're gone, on how much I need to give this thing all I got. And just to let people know, just even to save one more person, just, just one more, you know, because, um, I see Ryan's parents every week and, um, I love them so much, but I'm not their son. And he's not coming back. And, you know, and it's like, if I can just, and, and, and I also realize like, I, I, it's not, it's not my fault. It's not their fault. It's not anybody's fault. 
you know, and that's where I think a lot of people have such a hard time. But again, that's where God comes in and, and I give that to him. And and it says in the Bible, he creates all things for good. He makes all things for good. Everything, as much as it doesn't make sense, as much as Ryan's not here right now, as much as all that stuff, he makes all things for good. And so I don't know that, but obviously he was needed somewhere else. And he's shining. He's rising and shining every single morning, you know, and uh, I just know it. And and I get that feeling in my heart, too. And and uh, and he's so proud of me for what I'm doing uh, and continuing this on and, and putting the drugs down and realizing that we got this together. So when you're trying to uh, make heads or tails of all this stuff, na navigate all these challenges, something inside you says, this is my time. I need to go to Nashville. And you had kind of, it seems like kind of a nagging to uh, take that step. What, what did that look like? And, and, and uh, how has this journey been to this point? It was terrifying. Um, I, I was, I was like, I don't know anybody down there. I didn't know, you know, I had a, a one family that had moved down from Vermont and I didn't know them all that well. And, uh, but I just knew that they were there and they moved to Franklin, uh, Tennessee and, and, uh, just South of, of uh, town. And I, I said, man, I, I'm just, I was, I was scared. And honestly, to be honest with you, the first, you know, week or two, I was ready to come home. Like, I was like, this is crazy. Um, and I'm really good at making friends. I'm thankful for that. And so I started making friends and I still keep in touch with a lot of guys that play down on Broadway. And um, I kind of realized, I'm like, well, you know what? This isn't all that bad. But after the first couple months, I'm kind of like, this, this vacation's kind of over. Like I'm not making a whole lot of money. Um, I, I don't see myself uh, really moving forward. I kind of got into a rut really fast. Um, and, and like I said, that was down on Broadway, but, um, I knew that if I didn't change what I was about and what I really wanted to do. And, and so, you know, a year out of Ryan's, um, passing away, I had realized, I'm like, you know what, I, I need to start doing something with what's actually in my heart instead of going down to Nashville just to sing country music. And that's when it really started hitting me that I wanted to get involved with recovery centers um, and start doing like prison ministry stuff. And so that's when I started really shifting and and kind of doing writer's rounds at more than playing out on Broadway. Uh, the problem with that is writer's rounds don't make any money. <laughs> so you're just kind of like and, and honestly, most writer's rounds, they don't put tips, tip jars out either. So you're kind of like you know, you sing three of your songs, maybe someone cries, maybe someone hugs you, but it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm hungry <laughs> and, I, and, and rent is due like next week. Um, and so I would schedule shows to come home. And so I would come home to Vermont where I could get paid for yeah. singing. And, uh, and I kind of did that for a while. So I come home, I do a few shows, make rent, make a truck payment and then food money and go back to Nashville and sing for free. Um, and that's honestly kind of what I've been doing for the last two years. So uh, I tell you what, uh, you know, we've talked about it a whole bunch here. We, we, when you talk about moving to Nashville and uh, along the way, uh, you, you found your faith, man. What what was it? What what moment really brought you to that reckoning, reckoning if I can spit it out? Um, you know, I, I really 
had just hit a point um, as Caitlin did where I just was tired. You know, I was drinking and driving a lot um, and I was driving home and, and waking up in the morning and not realizing where I was, um, where I parked my truck, um, that, that kind of thing. Like, how did I get home last night? And I just was so tired of running and so tired of searching for something. And, uh, coincidentally, uh, we'll just put quotes around that. Um, the family from Vermont that moved down to Tennessee, um, got a hold of me and, um, invited me to church and I'm, I'm, a, I'm totally about opportunity and new things and all that. And so I, uh, I said, sure, I'd love to. And so I walked in and, um, church of the city in Franklin and, uh, 3000 people. And I just, I remember walking through and into the auditorium and I just, I had all I could do to not fall on my knees. And, uh, it just, the sound, um, Chris McClarney was leading worship and, uh, John Reddick and some of the most incredible worship leaders I've ever heard. And, um, I just, I was like, I, I'm home. I found it. I'm home. And it hit me so fast and so hard. Um, and, but what really changed, I think for me inside, um, after that was I, I'd gone to a worship night, which was just like kind of a prayer night. And, um, the following week, and I remember them, the family that invited me the first time asked me second time, they're like, Hey, do you want to go to church in the morning on Sunday? I said, yeah, sure. And they said, well, Sunday night, we've got a, a like a prayer night. And I'm like, I don't do church twice. Not, not, not one day. Like, like no. And, uh, I, I still went and I was like, well, whatever. I didn't have anything going on. It probably meant a free meal. You know, I'm kind of like, all right, you know, I'll go eat. I'll go eat. And, um, I, I remember walking in and we all, we circled up and it was, uh, Charlie and his wife, BJ and, and their little daughter, Nora. And, um, we were holding hands and I remember all of a sudden this Hispanic couple comes walking over and, uh, and I, I kind of looked over and, you know, they were in there probably late thirties, early forties. And I kind of looked over and was like, uh, nope, nope. Circle's full. Nope. I'm sorry. Next, maybe you'll have better luck over there. And, uh, Charlie let go of my hand and he waved them in. And, uh, I just, I rolled my eyes. I'm like, Oh boy, you know, and, this man grabbed a hold of my hand and, and, uh, squeezed it and said, hello. And then all of a sudden Charlie's wife started praying and, uh, Lord, I hope Ben just is encouraged tonight. Lord, I hope that, that Ben is, um, I know he's new with this. I know he doesn't know. I know that he's lost. I know that he's tired. I know that he's angry. I know that he's upset. I know that he's running. And all of a sudden the man next to me just started taking over. And he started praying in English. He started praying in Spanish. He started praying all these things. He had his hands on my chest. He's pushing on my chest. And I lost it. Mm. I completely lost it. I started crying. I started bawling. And next thing you know, I'm hugging this man. And I'm not letting go of him. And I won't let go of him. And his wife had gone. And she's like, I Dios mío. Oh, my and she runs over and she's got a box of tissues and she comes running over and she goes here. 
And I said, get away from me. I don't want it. Get away from me. I was so, I was, I just wanted it out. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted it to fall out. I wanted it all gone. And that man, Andy Garcia, had been a pastor for 17 years in Colorado mm-hmm. and was searching for a church. And it was his first week in Nashville. Mm. And now he still attends Church of the City, and so do I when I'm in town. And he keeps in touch with me. And um, <laughs> that was my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. And 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 it and I, all I got to say is it was a high that was more than any cocaine that I could ever do or have ever done or will ever do ever again in my entire life. And it just and it and it completely that that God shaped hole in your heart that I had poured all that Coke into and all the beer into and all the liquor into and all the sex into and all that stuff. And that skeleton key, that old, I, I picture it as an old skeleton key just went in that rusty hole and just turned that thing. And just, just yeah. like that, it like filled my heart. It's one of the most compelling things that, that I came across when I was doing research for this was uh, looking at your website and seeing a lot of the, uh, the collection of the testimonies that uh, uh, folks had written after you had uh, spent time with them. Can you tell me a bit about how all those came to be? Yeah, we, uh, I started, started into playing at, at um, recovery centers. And, you know, the funny thing is uh, I started playing them when I wasn't even in recovery myself. And I was nervous about people asking me, you know, hey, you know, how long you been sober? How long you been? And, uh, and funny enough, I never got asked that question. And uh, they were just appreciative of the music and the rawness and the realness that came out of it. But I, a lot of times I was, I would go have beers afterwards. I would go, I would go drink. And um, something about that didn't feel right to me. And it really hit me hard. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking the talk, but I'm not walking. And I went to several recovery centers in Maryland. Recovery Centers of America is a big, beautiful, amazing um, um, organization that just they help a lot of people. And I got wrapped up with them. And, and uh, one of my great friends, Tiffany, was a, a drug counselor, is a drug counselor there. And so she got me in. And, and next thing you know, she sends me this message, this email afterwards. And she said, I just want to let you know I had a bunch of people write um, these letters to you. And, and, and I want you to have them. And so she photocopied them and she sent them over via email to see them in their own handwriting and to just know how much it meant to them. I mean, that was another like moment where it just, it was another awakening, you know, and this was all pre God. This was all pre Ben Fuller and God. This, this is, which is crazy. A lot of that testimonial stuff came before I was even a believer mm-hmm. and, and God was doing so many amazing things through me. And I wasn't even, I didn't even realize I didn't even know. it. And, um, those are the things that kept me going. And that, and that I think led to my sobriety. Cause I realized I'm helping this many people. I have no time to mess around anymore. I, I can't, how can I tell someone about being sober if I'm not sober myself? And so that's a, to have those many, that many witnesses, to have you as a witness. Um, now, now I'm held accountable. 
Now yeah. I've got a whole lot of people that hear me right now. And now I'm, I, I think I already see the consequences before they happen. Someone hands me a beer. I'm already like, this is leading to a 12 pack and me driving home and then wake up in the morning and doing a broadcast with fast line. And then I'm like, Hey y'all, I'm Ben Fuller and I'm not sober anymore. How are you? And how's that going to go? You know? And so uh, I had one of my best friends ask me, so do you think you ever drink again? I said, no. And I believe that. Yeah. And I tell you, uh, if anybody needs any inspiration or motivation, get get on Ben's website and and look at those testimonials because I mean that's that's powerful stuff, and uh, just incredible how God's used that gift to uh, uh, just motivate and inspire people that uh, that that are lost and and need that help. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Brent. It's it's great stuff and something else. I tell you, uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, artists here on the show who uh, give back to the Ronald McDonald House and also to Seacrest Studios uh, at uh, children's hospitals around the country. And uh, again, this week uh, we've got Ben here. Uh, a while back, you had a chance to uh, perform for some special guests at the Seacrest Studio at the Monroe Carroll Junior uh, Children's Hospital there at Vanderbilt University alongside a country music icon. I'm going to roll a clip here real quick and let you see what we're talking about. Randy Travis is in Seacrest Studios. Talk about the weather as long as old women sit and talk about old men. If you wonder how long I'll be faithful, I'll be happy. And there's days that, yeah, that get you down. And, and I think that, that Randy, when they said just plug on him there's nothing else we can do we knew that all we can do is is give it our best attitude never give up never believe in the negative always kind of sidle up beside mr positive he was patient and five and a half months later we got to go home and we're still we're still kicking yeah. still loving life Wow. What was that day like? Man, that still chokes me up. Uh, what a wonderful man. Mm. What a wonderful woman, Mary, beside him. Um, Mary has just been his rock and and um, his saving grace and, and doing these amazing things that they're doing. And But to watch him light up with the music and, and then to get asked to sing Three Wooden Crosses. Uh, and, and, and I just remember looking over and seeing that smile and seeing him just staring at me right there. And it, it just was, it was like, Hey, I'm like, I better not miss, miss a word or two. Uh, but B, it didn't matter. B, it didn't matter. And I just, and I was like, this is exactly uh, what I was put here to do and to see those kids, you know, and then that was the coolest thing. Um, was and I and I almost want to say this like to sit there with Randy was the coolest thing, but I think to get the messages from the the mothers of the children that were in the room the next day, mm -hmm. um, that was even cooler. And like for them to say thank you for taking the time out of your day, you're so busy. It means so much for us that you came and all this. I'm never that busy. 
I'm never too busy to do that. And I, and I keep continually telling myself, I will never be too busy for that ever. And if I get too busy for that, I need to check. I need to stop. And I need to realize that those things are what make me go. And that was one of the most beautiful days. And, you know, the coolest thing is that Mamie Shepard, who runs Seacrest Studios um, at the at the Children's Hospital, she's kept in touch with us. I'm going to actually do an event for them um, in, I guess, three weeks, just three and a half weeks. And it's just like now that now all of a sudden we keep in touch and um, I've been back since Randy. And it's just those kids just, oh, those kids, you know, see those kids with cancer and missing limbs. And, you know, if you're having a bad day, yeah, walk in there, just walk in there. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. it's beautiful stuff. Uh, So uh, we talked a bit about what you're doing through uh, COVID here, but uh, what's the long term plan for the career looking like at this point? Um, I've got some pretty amazing, important meetings that, um, uh, are coming up, uh, hopefully. And so I'm, I'm, um, I'm headed back down to Tennessee, um, about September 13th. And, um, so I've got just, a, a working on a couple more weeks left here in Vermont. And, um, like I said, I've been here since the beginning, but, um, the beginning of COVID and, and, uh, so, I'm hoping to go back down and um, get get wrapped up with uh, got some pretty cool things going on. I, I'm starting to get involved with this um, beautiful organization, uh, a couple different ones. One of them is called the Beat of Life, um, which is a prison ministry program. And then another one is called Men of Valor. And that's right. Uh, they're both based out of Nashville. Super beautiful. They both work with um, inmates. And uh, it involves writing songs with with uh, people in prison and uh, exit strategies and reentry for um, people that have spent time in in, uh, in jail. And so it's so, so, so beautiful. I'm very excited to be working with that um, and them. And so I think I want to try to keep going, which is so funny talking to my manager, Crystal, who has just been. Oh, I couldn't do what I'm doing without her. And um, it, it's, she's really been dogging for me hard here. And I, I think it's like, I'm doing things. And she even said the other night, she's like, you're making this extremely difficult because you don't want to really play like the normal bar stuff. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do this. She's like, you want to play in churches, which, you know, it can be tough sometimes. You want to play, at recovery centers, which a lot of them don't pay because it's like kind of a thing, you know, and um, you want to do all these things that are like, ah, you know, like don't pay. And I love it. And and she's just like, and I, and it gives me such strength to, to reach out to these people and to be like, look, this is what, this is what Ben wants to do. His heart is for it. Um, his heart is in it. And uh, we don't care. And we're going to keep nagging you until you say yes. And uh, we've got into so many beautiful places like that. And then uh, the magical part is that they have me back, um, right. which I'm really, I'm really thankful for <laughs> keeping them crossed, but uh, I'm going to continue doing that. I've got, um, I've got a, uh, like I said, some really, I don't want to say anything because I don't really, you know, I don't want to jinx anything either, but I've got some really important meetings coming up that involve um, some bigger moves. And um, my prayer to God has been send me more people. 
Yeah. And um, he's been sending me more people. So, well, the new singles out, Find My Faith, and the video yeah. was released recently, and it's top notch stuff, man. Such a powerful song, powerful imagery. Tell us about that song. Wow. Um, <laughs> that whole album, the whole album Witness really came. Um, I wrote it with um, Miss Pamela Lack and uh, Mr. Bobby Crop, and um, They've got a beautiful studio, uh, Red Castle Music and um, Red Castle Studios. And, and, and they, you know, really took me under their wing. And um, I, I spent the night at their house. You know, it's a beautiful home studio. Spent the night at their house. I spent like the whole week, spent the whole month, spent like so much time there with them. They fed me. They housed me. Um, and I had my own apartment, too. I just I basically lived there and, and really delved into this uh, project and I started writing with them and I was introduced to them, started writing with them. Next thing you know, um, some really magical things started happening. And, uh, it was right around the time I started going to church also. And so, um, I was like feeling all these things. I was, I was really feeling my drinking was, um, just on the complete decline. It was like, uh, just about done with it. And, um, I just remember like so many feelings and emotions come rushing in and all of a sudden we started writing some songs and um, that song find my faith came out and um, it just hit me so hard. And I was just thinking about all the things that all the places that I used to run to the mountains and the, the water, the streams, you know, I'm not much of an ocean guy, but I love the streams and, and the rivers and stuff. And, and uh, especially up here in Vermont, some of those little brooks are so beautiful and you can just go sit there and it's so quiet. And I started thinking about all the places where I would take my troubles to and where I would take my problems to. And little did I know that God met me there at those places. And I didn't I didn't even know it. You know, I, I didn't even know it. I would just go. I'd talk to myself and talk to myself <laughs> and uh man, I just, I realized that, um, how beautiful is that taking your, taking your problems. And maybe this is where I was finding my faith the whole time, you know, at all those places that I used to run to. And, um, that song, find my faith was born. Um, another amazing songwriter, uh, singer songwriter, Nicole Lewis, she's from Oregon and, um, she lives in town and she was in there and, uh, she helped, uh, write this song as well. Um, and, uh, so me, Nicole, Bobby and Pam sat around and, uh, it just came and, uh, so, so, so fast. And I started spitting these sentences out and, um, that song was born. And so, uh, we had a track all set for it, you know, and it was going to be really cool and product, uh, you know, the production was great and all this. And, uh, all of a sudden I was messing around and I had just played it acoustically and um bobby says oh man like that's how we need to have it on the album that's powerful and uh did it one take guitar vocal one mic and just let it out and um that's what you hear on the album mm. so it just was that that vulnerability in there was is really i think what what made it so special well here it is the new single from ben fuller find my faith on fast line fast track i've run out of answers 
explain where I've come from Like a switch inside that I can't hide Set my ways beneath the sun Oh, I believe in second chances I believe in love I believe the fire you light in me Forever is enough Forever is enough Oh, your mountains made a perfect place to fight my battles from And the water parted my old ways as you let my spirit run Tell me, is this where I crossed the line and finally won the race? Or is this where I've just begun to find my faith? To find my faith My eyes fixed on the front lines I set off shield and sword What kind of king leaves a man behind Not the one I'm fighting for So I sing it loud for the world to hear As I get back to work Looks like you might have found a way To show me what I'm worth Show me what I'm worth Oh, your mountains made a perfect place to fight my battles from And the water parted my old ways as you let my spirit run Tell me, is this where I crossed the line, finally won the race? Or is this where I've just begun to find my faith? To find my faith That voice inside my heart I never listened to Until I recognized that it was you Oh, your mountains made a perfect place To fight my battles from And the water parted my old ways As you let my spirit run Tell me, is this where I crossed the line And finally won the race? Or is this where I've just begun Find my faith To find my faith I found my faith Beautiful, powerful stuff there, man. Thank you so much for for being transparent and showing us that. And uh, I I know it's resonated with a lot of people here. Uh, For the people who have not had a chance to do that yet or or have not had a chance to dig into your music yet, uh, where can they go to uh, follow your career and download your music and so forth? Um, I've got that new song um, on Spotify. Find My Faith is on Spotify. And uh, we're starting to release um, some other songs are coming up from the album Witness. And so I'm so excited and stay tuned for that. Ben Fuller Music, uh, spaces in between that on Facebook. You can you can find me on there and uh, uh, YouTube as well. And then you can also find me on Instagram at Ben D. Fuller. That's D is in David, my middle name. Um, and I usually I'm a silly guy. I like to be silly on my stories. And uh, I usually get people going and get people laughing. And um, I have a lot of serious stuff on there, too, obviously. And that's just who I am. And uh, I'm just so thankful for, for everybody uh, listening and following and, and loving. And my heart is just like 
So <laughs> thank you, Brent, for everything, really. Oh, you're welcome. And make sure you go check out bendfuller.com. That's his website where a lot of that information is. Go check out those testimonials. Go check out uh, everything he's got going on there and keep tabs. And Ben, again, thank you so much for joining us, man. I hope you come back to, to share more of your journey as it, as it goes and as you uh, uh, just progress in your career, man. you got a home here to share your music anytime you want it. Man, I'll tell you what. Thank you so much. That means the world to me. Well, we want to say a special thank you to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you go and check them out. We've got a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They have some new hours, so pay close attention. They'll be closed on Mondays and Tuesdays, and then open Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Fridays and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So when they're open, stop by and say hi, and tell them you heard it here on Fast Line Fast Track. Also want to say a special shout out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Go over and give them a like on their Facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture and join me over on their page every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern as I join my buddy Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on the minds of farmers. And speaking of things that are on farmers' minds, harvest season is right here upon us. And if you're in the market for combines, heads, grain carts, grain dryers, trailers, or anything else, head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And remember to subscribe to the Fast Line Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. And add our Spotify playlist to your library for all the music of past, current, and upcoming guests of the show. Also, be sure to hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.